Welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. This is actually just before Pesach that we're recording this in the beautiful home closet studios here in social isolation before Pesach. Brings to mind, unfortunately, the verse, Ain bayit asher ain sham met. There was no house in which there was not a dead body. Hopefully we won't get to that literally, but there is a feeling all over of this kind of growing emavira, fear, and trembling of what's going on outside. We can only hope that this Chag, this holiday of redemption, in which everybody was able to finally get to the sea and able to say, behu, to see God and say, this is my God. Hopefully we'll get to the other side of this as soon as we can. I'm holding in mind some friends who, and friends, relatives who have passed, some friends who are ill, and those who have always been ignored by society, the marginal, the detained, the immigrants, the homeless, the houseless. So we are starting on the bottom line of Bhavabhatra 19b, in the way that it was published by the brothers and widow Ram Lowe a century and a half ago. And we'll talk a little bit actually about printing in this uh, this week. If you remember when last we met, uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, what happens if you have a some kind of a container filled with grain or uh, filled with uh, dried dates, uh, which were set in a window? Does that window between two buildings, two houses, does that serve as a barrier for impurity from going from one house to the other house? So here we go. So when we're talking about this container, this jar, which was sitting on the window. How was it sitting there? Idapuma Lavar, if its mouth, if its opening was towards the outside, he techot. So then it itself is considered a barrier because the backside of it is towards the inside. So it is a barrier to the tuba. It lessens the opening to less than a tefach, about six inches, which is the opening needed, tefach by a tefach, to for the impurity to pass through the other side. Because a pottery, some kind of a jar made out of pottery, it does not accept uh, uh, impurity from its back. So therefore, it can serve as a barrier. No. Rather, we're talking about when its opening is towards the, the, towards the house, towards the inside. And maybe you want to say, Actually, its mouth is towards the outside. But what are we talking about here? And here there are a couple of uh, differences in the manuscripts. We'll go with the printed edition. What are we talking about? In a, uh, a jar of metal. And we know that a jar of metal uh, accepts Tuma. So we ask a question. A question is brought. There is a, a text which challenges our presumptions here. Not about actually the klicharis, the pot made out of ceramic, but rather something else. Grasses were torn up and put down on the windowsill. Or you had grass that grew out of the window. And now we're talking about, not talking about a, a window in the modern sense of window with glass, but a window opening. Or pieces of cloth on which the, which were less than three by three tfachim. Or a limb or piece of flesh that was falling off of an animal, a domestic or a wild animal. Or a bird that 
sat down on the window. Or actually, all the manuscripts have goy, not oved kochavim, and we'll talk about that in a minute. If a non-Jew sat in the window. Or an eight-day-old child who sat on the window. In other words, eight, day old, eight days old or less. Or salt or a pottery jar or a Torah scroll. All of these things make the opening less. In other words, they stop because they don't accept Tumah. They are not, they don't become impure. So therefore, they make the opening less. But all these different types of water, whether frozen water or snow or hail or kind of frost or other types of frozen water and water, do not lessen the window. But we, so now we're going back and we're going to the whole reason we brought this is because it says asavim. It's because it said grasses. And beforehand, we had the fact that grasses were not something that, that lessened the opening. So why does it say that grasses do not lessen the opening? There is a use for grasses. If there's a use for them, so then they actually are They actually, and therefore they can lessen. So ba'afrasta. So actually, so what does it mean ba'afrasta? We're talking about an herb that's toxic to cattle. O shalu or grasses that grew by themselves, came in the kashulakotel shakalu. Since they, why? So why, why not those? Since they are, are, are bad for the wall, in other words, if you have grass that's growing up in the wall, it's going to split the wall. So then they would take them away. It wouldn't remain there. Amaraba bakotel churba. But what about in the wall of a ruin? So nobody cares. Nobody's going to take it away. Rab, Rab Papa Amar afil bakotel yishuv bebayin chutz l'shoshal chalon. So he said, maybe actually, what about even in a uh, wall of of a, a settled building, a settled house, not a ruin? So he said, and and when they come from three tefachim outside the window, and then they grow. To the window, so that could also, uh, because of the the rules of halachic physics, that could also uh, make the window opening less than a tefach and 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 become a barrier. Matloniot, chazu. So the matloniot, these pieces of cloth, they chazu lekriyadilavusha. They are they are not they're not worthless, even though they're less than three. You could use them to repair a tear in a in in a, in a garment. Bissamichta. So no, we're talking about pieces of garment that are really thick, so you can't use them actually to repair a hole in the garment. Now, here there's a, a piece that's missing in the printed edition, which is in all the manuscripts. But they would be good. These matlaniot are good anyway for poor people. Poor people could use them to fix up their clothes, even if they were thick, so they wouldn't look so well. No, because they're dirty and even they're even too dirty for, for poor people to use. So maybe they could be used for medicine. They could be used medicinally to stop a bleeding, stop a cut. Beriska. Now, Beriska is interesting. It's, it's, it's um, one of the, the manuscripts say that it's actually supposed to mean bidisaka. It was that it's like a sack, in other words, very thick and scratchy material. E bidisaka shein ben shalosh shalosh shein ben arbaraba mibayle kein saka. So if you're talking about that, it is like a sack. It's like a thick and scratchy kind of sack. Why does it say that they don't have three by three in order to say that it's not considered something that's of worth, of value, should say it doesn't have four by four because that's actually the size of something that is that is a, a considered a sock. So you mean no kain de sokka. doesn't mean an actual sock, but like a sock. 
So what about, why we say that the meat or the limb hanging down from an animal can minimize the opening of the window? These animals can get up and leave. So why? They're not, they're not there. If it's tied up. So you could, uh, maybe you could uh, slaughter it. When it's actually a non-kosher animal. Most manuscripts have legoi. Sell it to a non-Jew. It's not even worth it to the non-Jew, so it's going to just sit there. So that's why it actually minimizes the, the opening. Pasik shadila leklavim. But what about if it falls off? Then you could, or if he takes it off, he could give it to the dogs. Because if you take it off from this animal, which is still alive, it's going to hurt the animal, so he wouldn't do that. Now we're going to go through every single part of this. What about the bird that's just sitting on the window? And we say that that minimizes the opening of the window. The bird could just fly away. So why do we consider it a thing that's sitting there? Because sure, if it's tied. So maybe you're going to slaughter it to eat it. When it's not kosher. Maybe you're going to sell it to an Andrew. Now, Kalnita is a type of a bird. Rashi seems to... Identify it in Middle French. Other uh, lexicons don't aren't sure what it is, but it's a type of bird. Yavlelianuka. So you could actually, if it's a bird, so maybe you can give it to a, a young child to play with. Bimasrate. So it's a problem because it, it scratches. Kalnita la masratize. They knew what a kalnita was, and kalnita does not scratch a child. Kain kalnita. So it's not actually a kalnita. We're talking about like a kalnita, but a kalnita that actually will scratch. And what about a non-Jew sitting in the window? How could that uh, minimize the window? He could get up and leave. So we're talking about a guy who was, non-Jew who was tied. What are you talking about? His friends will come along and they'll free him. We're talking about a leper. His friends, the lepers, will come and free him. So now we're talking about a non-Jew who was captured by the by the kingdom, by the Malchut, and was tied up in your window. So in that case, nobody's going to come and free him, and so therefore he's going to stay in your window and minimize the amount of, of your window. Uben, therefore, the, the Tumah won't go through. Uben Shmone Hamunach Now remember, we have, we keep in mind, we're going to have, we, I owe you still about Obed Kochavim and Goy, um, and I also owe you about Goy and impurity. So what about a less than eight-day-old child who's lying in, in the window? Because a less than eight-day-old child, we'll see in a minute, is not considered is not considered like a person. So his mother might come and pick him up, so then he won't be there anymore. No, it's on Shabbos. Because we have a brighter that says, an eight-day-old child is like a stone. No, there's not like a living person, and because we have with a living person, we have a uh, halachic principle, a living person carries himself, so you're allowed to carry a child if the child is alive, because the child actually carries itself. Uh, but an eight-day-old child is like a stone, and therefore you're not allowed to carry it on Shabbos. But his mother bends over him and nurses him because of the danger, and it's not clear whether it's a danger because if she doesn't nurse, it will be painful, or if he doesn't, or if the baby doesn't nurse, the baby will die. Melach, what about salt? Chazile. The salt is useful for things, and you can use it for other stuff. 
Bimrirta, if it's actually very bitter salt. Still, you could use it to tan hides, tan leather. You know, you can't because they're talking about salt that has thorns in it. Cave in the Kashi Lakotel Shaklas. Oh, well, in that case, it's going to be, uh, it's not going to be good for the wall. So they'll take it away and it won't be there anymore. Diatwa Chaspa. Yeah, we're actually talking about when it's sitting on top of a, of a potsherd. Chaspa Gufa Techot. So then you have the potsherd itself will serve as a machitza between the two. Delet Shira. When it had, because no, Chaspa doesn't have a measurement. And now here we have the Gemara we see in the printed editions. It brings, it seems like it's bringing a proof from this Mishnah. The Mishnah is in the eighth parak of Shabbat. We're talking about the minimum measurements of things that can be carried on Shabbat. If you carry something less than this, it's not considered carrying a thing. So the minimum measurement of cheres, of a potsherd, is the amount or the, the size that you put it between one upright wooden upright and it's and the next wooden upright. Now the wooden upright's around a window when you're building a wall. So that is the measurement. It's a very small measurement, apparently. Now, the problem, now most, um, a whole bunch of the manuscripts don't have it. There seems to be a, a distinction between, a dispute between the Spanish recensions and the Spanish Rishonim and the Franco-Germans about whether to include this proof or not. The Adrama Spanish 14th century does not know it exists, right? He quotes the Gemara without this proof. Tosfot, Franco-German, mid-13th century to late-13th century. Tosa recognizes that there is an incongruity in bringing a proof to Tarot from Shabbat Melachot, so he threads the needle by suggesting that the Gersa should be ukiditznan with above. And it says, and as it says. Now, this is not bringing a proof, but rather an an analogy. It's just an analog case in which for carrying, when a piece of cheres is so small, a potsherd is so small, it cannot even serve the function of being placed between uprights around the window. Yona of Gorona, who's from Catalan in the 13th century, a little earlier, is on Team Tosfot, even though he's earlier than them. Tosfot doesn't mention him. The Meiri, who's late 13th century from Catalan, and is on Team Catalan with Rabino Yona. He knows the Girsa, but comes around to saying that it doesn't fit here. So in the end, at the end of the day, this uh, added seeming proof, pseudo-proof, um, Rashi comments on it and seems to accept it, but doesn't see, it doesn't seem to fit here. So there you go. This week's episode is brought to you by the Oh My God, It's Pesach Alarm. Did you ever get that feeling that Pesach was just around the corner and you hadn't bought enough? You hadn't cleaned enough? You hadn't prepared enough? Then you woke up and realized that Pesach was just around the corner and you hadn't bought enough. You hadn't cleaned enough. You hadn't prepared enough. Congratulations. You have the Oh My God, It's Pesach Alarm. It rings once a year, too early, and doesn't stop till you start the Seder. And best of all, it's free. Therapy not included, intergenerational trauma, a definite possibility. We're going to move on. Klicheres, chazilei. So what about a pottery jar? Chazilei. It has, you could use it for something. Dimit naf. No, we're talking about one that's dirty. Chazilumna. Still, it could be used for medical purposes. Diminkav. No, because it has holes in it, so it can't collect blood or whatever you're going to do with it. Sefer Torah, the last thing. What about a Torah scroll? Chazilumikra. So you say Torah, you could uh, read it. So it's not. It, why shouldn't? Why should should it stop the? Why should it minimize it? So if we're talking about a Sefer Torah that actually you can't read in it because it is wiped out, so therefore it's not kosher. But by gniza, but still it needs to be um, set in a gniza. It needs to be buried someplace. Shamte gniza You know what? There it will be. It's gniza. So nobody's going to move it from there. Nobody's going to use it. 
So it could stay there and it could minimize the window between the two houses. All right. So let's go back to the beginning for a minute, just to mention a couple of things in this Tosefta that's brought in. Asavin Shetlashan Vinichan Bachalon on the top of Chaf Amad Aleph. In this Breita, which is a Tosefta, more or less, it mentions Oved Kochavin. And in the printed editions, but all of the manuscripts have Goy. Now, this is a very typical and probably well-known to some of you, move from, you see, goy in the manuscripts, and then idolater as opposed to Gentile or non-Jew in the manuscripts. Now, it's what's interesting here is that one can place the change here pretty precisely because the first printed edition also, which is actually the Pissarro edition in 1511, also has goy. So it's later than that. Um, and the truth is that I tried to run it down. Prior to the printed edition, I couldn't find a printed edition which said Ovei Kochavim and not Goy. But what's interesting about this is that this does put this in an interesting place. Because the Pissarra edition is in 1511. The Third Council of Trent is in 1562-63. And the third session of the Council of Trent dedicated a long discussion to the issue of censorship. And in conclusion issued a new Index Librorum Prohibitorum, an index of prohibited books, which significantly reduced the number of books that were prohibited outright. It also introduced a system of permanent surveillance based on the principle of expurgation, the removal or revision of certain paragraphs in the books as a condition for permission to publication. Now, Amnon Raz Krokotskin, an Israeli scholar who I'm reading from, then comes to makes an interesting point. This decision marks the recognition that surveillance was not a one-time matter designed or imagined to restore a supposedly previously existing reality, but rather an ongoing process. And so there is something of a cooperation, of a partnership between the censor and the author in that if the book was to survive, it would need to be expurgated, to be censored. Around this time, 1562, there was also the great burning of the Talmud between the printing of the Pissarra manuscript in 1511 and the Council of Trent in 1562. There were a number of burnings of the Talmud, the last of which was in, 15, in late 1550s, when the Talmud itself was burnt. And so this move in the Council of Trent of putting out an index of prohibited books, which meant books from which items were, were expurgated, now was something of a compromise welcomed by some of the Jewish authors in the sense that they could publish books and they not end up being burnt. Now, there is an interesting thing here, which a number of, of, of scholars have noted, which is that the Talmud couldn't be published. So what's going on here? So the Talmud couldn't be published under the name Talmud, which is why the Talmud started to be called Gemara and not Talmud. And for whatever reason, Talmud was bad, Gemara was okay. And so here we have an example in this Breita where we see that our printed edition, printed edition from Vilna, has Oved Kochavim, though the edition that it was based on, the editions that it was, the first printed edition, the Pissarro, which, and the Bomberg then, which set the, the standard for what a printed edition would look like, what the page would look like, have have Goy and not Oved Kochavim. Someplace along the line, this uh, compromise was made and Oved Kochavim was put in instead of Goy, an idolater, not a non-Jew, meaning seemingly to the satisfaction of the censor that this didn't mean every Christian, but rather only idolaters, which the uh, Christians themselves knew that they were not, and that allowed the Jews to move into the era of printing 
wherein they knew that the the printers were all, at least in Europe, the printers were all under the aegis of the Christian church. Okay, second thing, impurity, non-Jews, impure. This is another innovation of the rabbis. In Torah, the impurity is not as specific. Is not a an impurity. It is not an impurity of Jews as opposed to non-Jews. Here we see in this in this brayta that the non-Jews are not makabeltuna. That's the problem. That's why they make the opening between the houses less because they're not makabeltuna. They they do not become impure. Right. This is an innovation. Certain scholars like Vered Noam and afterwards uh, Shai Rosen Svi show this is an innovation of. Of the rabbis. And so, just to quote from Yishai Razan Tzvi, we'd add that the removal of Gentile from the system of impurity, and also, and this is important, thus from full humanity, right? Because full humanity and Adam, um, which is the word that's used in Torah, Zot Torah Adam, or Adam Kiyamut Ba'ohel, Zot Torah Adam Kiyamut Ba'ohel, right? That being an Adam, being a person, means that you are part of the system of impurity, should be seen as a direct result of the new rabbinic categorization. Right? So it's the rabbinic categorization which makes, which removes a, uh, a non-Jew in this case, in this within the discourse of and legislation of impurity, puts the non-Jew outside of this discourse. Okay, now back to our sugya. You can, Rav said, you can make a barrier between two houses, two properties, with anything except for salt and revav, which is a kind of oil, oil that, that's solid and then melts. Shmuel Amar, Afilu Melach, and Shmuel says you can even do it with salt. Amar Rav Papa, Velo Plig, Velo Pligi. Rav Papa says that, and there is no dispute between them. Ha b'melech stomit, ha b'melech istrokanit. Uh, says there's not a dispute, but Rab is talking about melech stomit, which is a thicker type of salt, and uh, Shmuel is talking about melech istrokanit, a thinner type of salt. What about Rabba says that you're a person can use salt as part of uh, making a lechi and kora, making a boundary around a property. If he takes a pile of salt, which is 10, and he puts on a, a beam on top of it, and then he gets a, a kind of what we would call an eruv, but is actually lechi and kora, a beam and cross beam and two poles to bound the property. So how can he do that if you say that, if you can now let him use salt? Shehamelach ma'medetet ha'kora, ba'kora ma'medetet ha'melach. Uh, because there you're talking about the beam that's sitting on the on the salt pushes down on the salt, and that's why it stands. So therefore, in that case, it's not going to fall apart. That's the problem. If it's going to, if it's you have this thin salt that just blow away, then there's there's nothing left, and the uh, salt holds up the crossbeam. Afilu melch is is even talking about the thinner salt, the istrokanit, and there is no debate between Rav and Shmuel. Here we're talking about where there is a cross beam, and here we're talking about where there is no cross beam. And even the thinner salt is able to stand in place when there's a cross beam weighing down on it. And we go on. Okay, we're going all the way back to the Mishnah, continuing our march through the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says you... You have to distance the mill from your fellow's wall, 
three from the Shechev, which is the stone that lies on top and moves around, which is four from the Rechev, which is a larger stone underneath it. My Taima. So what's the reason? Mishum Tiraya. Because of the shaking. So the shaking is bad for the wall. How can you say this? Because when you have a mill that is a donkey, one of those mills that you might have seen in old movies or reconstructions of late antiquity, you have a donkey that's tied to a, a, a stone and walks around. But there, we said in the Brita that it's three, you have three from the istrobil, which is the part that moves around. Which is Arba mina kelet. The kelet is the the base of the mill. Hatamaitiraika, and that that there's no shaking there. It's not. Uh, we know that that kind of a mill doesn't have the same kind of shaking. Elamishum kalas. No, we're talking about actually the sound. The sound is the problem. The sound when the scraping of the stones against each other when they're milling the flour or the olives. And finally, the last line in the Mishnah: Betatanur shlosha mina kiliyash and arba mina safa and a an oven. You have to keep it away from, distance it from the, your, your fellow's wall. Three from the kolia and four from the lip. So the kolia is the belly, right, from the Greek word kolios, and which is four from the base, right, because the kolios is, is larger than the base. Amr Rabbi. Shmamina kolia ditanur tefach. Nafkamina lamekachumem kar. So Rabbi says what you learn from this is that the kolia is, the kolia of a stove is a tefach out of the base. And why does this make a difference? It makes a difference, again, we've seen this reason before, it makes a difference if you're going to sell it. If you're buying a tanur, which has a kolia, you can expect to get for the kolia to, for the belly of the stove to be a tefach extra, tefach out from the base. And if it isn't, you can come and claim a refund. Okay, we're moving on to the next Mishnah. Mishnah bet bet. Lo yamir adam tanur ela imken yesh al gabav gova arbamot. Okay, so here we're talking about a person who lives in a house and he's not allowed to put a stove inside the house unless there are four amot above the stove below the ceiling. Four amot above the stove below the ceiling so that it doesn't burn down the floor above it. And if he's putting the stove on the second floor, if he lives on the second floor, so it has to be underneath it, a ma'aziva. Ma'aziva is the layer of dirt and clay which is put in the ceiling or the roof on the beams to buttress the beams, hold them together at times to waterproof or insulate the house. And also here we have it as like insulation. So to keep, prevent the oven from burning the lower story. It says the ma'aziva. Uva kira tefach. And if you have a kira, which is a, 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 a smaller stove, we are familiar with both the kira and the tanur from Shabbat. Kira is a smaller stove, has less heat. So you only need a, you know, only need a tefach beneath it. Bimizik mishalei mashizik. And if he caused damage, so he still has to pay what he damaged. Rib Shimon Omer, Shimon says, Lo amru kol elu, ela hizik patur Shimon actually disagrees and says, actually, all of these measurements are only to say that if you did this, if you acted properly and you caused damage, you burnt your upstairs neighbor, or you scorched the roof or whatever, you're exempt from payment. Mishnah continues, Lo A person should not open a bakery or a dye shop 
underneath uh, his fellow's uh, granary. The granary is on the second floor. You shouldn't go in and open up a, a bakery or a dye shop below Refit Bakar, nor a stall for animals. And in truth, the Mishnah says, if the downstairs guy wanted to make wine, that was okay, underneath the granary, but not a uh, stall for animals. Okay, why? What is the reason for all these things? We'll find out in the Gemara. Vahatanya, going back to the first part of the Mishnah, Bitanur arba bikira shlosha. Why does it say, uh, why is four for tanur and three for akira? Four for the larger oven and three for the smaller one? Amrabaya ki tanya hahibidinachtomim. So Abaya says that that brighta, which tells us that you have four for a tanur and three for akira, that's talking about a tanur of nachtomim. Tanur didan ki kira dinachtomim. And our tanur is like a kira of a bakery. So our tanur apparently is, is lesser than the normal tanur. Abai is saying our, apparently talking about the tanurim in Bavel. Lo yiftach chanut. So you're not allowed to, the Mishnah says you're not allowed to open up these kinds of stores. Tana. So we see in a bride's actually Tosefta, if the stall for animals was there before the granary, so then it's okay. Bye bye. So Abayah says, okay, you're saying if the stall for animals was there before the granary, it's okay. But what about kibet verivets laotzar mao? Let's say there was no granary, but the guy upstairs already started cleaning it out so that it should be a granary. Ribah mao. Or he put in lots of uh, windows or open windows that there should be light for the granary. Or on the other hand, are you allowed to put a uh, a column a, a colonnaded porch underneath an otsar. Um, or in that case, what's the story? Because that case is the the nachsadra is a colonnaded porch. It's open. Banala alia algabe betomau. What happens if somebody builds a second story on top of his house? Then it's his house. Is he allowed to put one of these refet or those kind of things? The the the, the animal stall, the the bakery oven on the first floor. Take a, so the gemara says. The question stands, meaning we don't know how do we we don't know how to proceed with these types of questions because they seem to fall in between the two horns of a dilemma. On the one hand, the obvious case is that if the animal stall was there first and then the granary came, so then it's okay. But on the other hand, we don't know what happens if there are all kinds of conditions which either seem to show that the guy upstairs wants to build a granary, but hasn't yet, or that the guy downstairs is putting his stall in such a way that it won't damage the upstairs as much. We don't know what the answer is. So take it. So the son of Rabbi Yeshua asks, what about if we're talking about figs and pomegranates? Is that the same thing? If not wheat, but figs and pomegranates, take it. Again, we don't know what the answer is. So there's a whole, if you're interested in in pursuing this, Louis Jacobs has a very creatively titled book called Teku, in which he goes through all the Tekus in Talmud and comes to the conclusion that Teku actually doesn't have any, is not especially hard question. It's just a question that stopped the questioning. In other words, normally we would expect a baya, the bai or ibailu is a a baya, is is a normal, it's a question that occurs that, recurs often in Talmud, which is basically saying, okay, we know X. What happens if we change X a little bit? So 
that's when you usually get tashma. You usually get bringing in other sources to decide between the two. Sometimes the Gemara just, uh, I don't know, they get tired or the Gemara just decides, you know what, we're not going to do this and therefore we're going to leave this for the Rishonim and then there are all kinds of rules amongst, the Gemara doesn't say they're going to leave for the Rishonim because the Rishonim lived hundreds of years after the Gemara, but in that sense, they, they say, we're not going to decide this at all. And then there are rules amongst the post and the decisors of how you deal with tekut. Okay, go on to the last line in the Mishnah. Be'emet be'yayin hitiru. So the Mishnah ends up with something which is kind of interesting. It says, in fact, right? It doesn't seem to be a, it's kind of an odd halachic term. In fact, with wine, they said it's okay, but not with uh, an animal stall. Tana be'yayin hitiru mimeshe mashbicho. So the Brayta says wine was permiss- permitted to make wine because actually it improves the grain that's above it. Below refit bakar, and not an animal stall because it makes it stink. Amar Rav Yosef, haididan, afilu kutra de sharga nami kashale. Rav Yosef said, our wine, even if you have a candle and the fire from a candle, will also make it bad. Amar Rav Sheshit, vaspasta kerefet bakar dami. And Rav Sheshit says that aspasta, which is this type of grain, is like an animal stall because apparently it is bad for the grain above. Okay, we're going to stop there. Uh, we're going to stop just before the next Mishnah. It's not all the way to the end of the, the daf. Um, thank you for joining me on this venture into Daf Chaf Amud Chaf Amud Bet of Baba Batra. My name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Ir Meklat. I want, as every week, to thank, hopefully for many weeks to come, my producer, Eli Unger Sargon, who makes this whole thing much more listenable. Have a Chag Kasher Lissameach. Have a wonderful, hopefully happy, hopefully joyous Passover of redemption and light.